Welcome to Constructing Mindsets, discussing the building blocks of our mental health. Today, we're joined by Paul Sheffield, President of the Institution of Civil Engineers, or ICE for short, and we'll be discussing the sentiment towards mental health within the construction industry, how this has changed over the years, and Paul's own experience of mental health. In the last few years, we've seen a huge shift towards opening up the conversation about mental health, and we're seeing a number of companies within the construction industry, both on-site and in the office, looking at ways that they can support their workforce and ease mental health pressures. So, welcome, Paul. Um, it's really great to have you on today. And as a kickoff question, um, what's been your experience, whether you know personal or on-site or within the office, with regard to mental health? And do you think that the industry attitude has changed at all? Well, um, really interesting points. I mean, I, I just just to paint a little bit of a, a background. I've been involved in the construction industry for the last forty years. Um, so, um, and nearly all of that has been working for for contractors. Um, so, I spent thirty three years with with Keir and then three years with uh, with Lavarock. Um, and I now um, sit on the boards of a few different organisations, as well as uh, this role as, as president of the of the ICE. So I get a fairly pretty global view, really, of uh, of the industry. Um, and, and I guess um, perhaps I'll pick up the second part of your question first. You know, has the industry attitude changed? Um, and inevitably, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I probably went through the first twenty years of my. Uh, my career without really coming across or without knowingly coming across any mental health issues. Um, if I look back on some of the um, things that I, um, I I dealt with and, and came across, there's probably evidence of, of people having real challenges to, to deal with in personal lives that actually probably got on top of them work-wise. And, and perhaps 20, 30 years ago, we didn't recognize it for what it is. Um, far more recently, I've been involved in about six years ago, I uh, got involved through Kia with uh, setting up a, a three-year relationship with Mind. Um, and I think it was only at that point in my career that I, I really started to, to understand that this you know, mental health, health issues affects so many people across the whole of society, not just in construction. But I, I do think you know, construction is quite unique in that it's, it's highly technical, it's highly driven by deadlines, and it's got tiny, narrow, slender margins. And so, you know, when, when you are trying to juggle deadlines with money and goodness knows what else is going on in your life, you can understand how people get uh, the balance of things um, out of out of control. So from, from a personal perspective, I, I, I'd like to think that I've been okay despite um, some pretty challenging and, and difficult issues that I've had to deal with over the last 40 years. Um, so... Um, but yes, the industry is changing it, is recognising it, but it can only recognise it if we see it and, and know about it. So, then, you know, the more people talk about it, the better. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, talking about it is really important. And that's one of the things that we started this podcast to try and achieve, to have that open, honest conversation around mental health and, and what it means to different people. So it's been really great to have you on today to be able to talk about it and, and hopefully, you know, really get into those difficult questions and, and questions that people would like to have answers to? I think I think people do quite like talking about it. I mean, I, I remember <clears throat> three years ago when I was with Langer Rock, actually, we had a, a company-wide Yammer group, and the most engaged conversation we had across the Yammer group was when somebody had, had posted their own personal story about um, going through a, a, a dark issue in the, in the time and some help that they got coming out of it. And within hours, there was... 
20, 30, 40 responses from people, either really supportive, just saying, great for you to talk about it, or others saying, yeah, I've, this happened to me before. Um, and it, it, this uh, Yammer conversation went on for days and probably attracted 10 times more traffic to the Yammer, Yammer portfolio than, than just about anything else I'd seen. It, it was quite remarkable, actually, and I think it really made it struck a nerve with so many people that, uh, and, and actually that people want to help as well. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. It's all about if one person opens up, other people feel more comfortable to share their own experiences. Um, mm. It's very powerful. So our first question today comes from Hannah. So Hannah, if you'd like to ask away. Yes, so I'm actually one of the people who at my last company was sharing my personal story <laughs> and I had the same feedback and I had a lot of coffees with a lot of people who were feeling the same. But one question that often came out um, quite a lot was whether people, especially uh, in management, were having like formal or informal training around um managing their own mental health and also how to work with others who are maybe struggling. Um, and if you think there's any more need for training in this area or if there's anything specific you've done yourself. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, again, a really good question. I think um, historically I, I, that there was never any training for mental health issues. And I think, you know, if you just look at the amount of effort we put into health and safety in our industry, it's, it's quite extraordinary. And quite a lot of companies now are starting to talk uh, about health, safety and well-being. And I think, you know, the whole well-being side of it does start to put a lot of um, emphasis on, on mental health and, uh, you know, just the way that people are helped in the in the workplace. Um, so I think, I think there's a really, really strong move in that direction, which is which has got to be uh, has got to be good. But I, I think it's. Um, you know, only in the last five or six years, really, that organisations have started to think about um, how do how do we train people for mental health? How how do we actually um, engage them in in that process? And I think I think I'd have to say that the training even today is pretty pretty thin. Um, and but I think you know maybe people if if, they, if it doesn't touch them personally and they don't have a personal connection with somebody who's had a, um, a mental health um, episode um, in, in the past, then it's very, very easy just to ignore it and, and just pretend it doesn't exist. And so I think, as we always with any um, training program or development program, it's really important to try and make it personal, try and make them think about somebody in their network who perhaps is, um, is struggling. Um, because I think if all of us sit back and really think about our, our entire group of friends we probably all know somebody who's um, who, who's, who's struggling with uh, with work-life balance or with family issues and um, you know there is you know the old old adage that if you've got family life and you've got work life and if your family life is fantastic and your work life is stressful then you can probably find a way of, of working through it because you've probably got a network of people in your family life who can share those problems and, and, and issues if you've got a, a fantastic work life and some great colleagues around work and you've got a really troublesome domestic life for whatever reason, then you can probably make it work because you've got an escape route. Um, I think when it starts to unravel is when you when you have challenges at both ends of the day and it can just get, get too much. And, and I think sometimes when we're, when we're working with people 8, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, we... We don't. We, we just assume that everything's all right in the rest of their life, um, and can't quite understand why they're behaving oddly in their daily contacts and so on. Um, so, um, 
I think encouraging people to sit back and have a think about personal situations and personal friends um, is probably the way to, to unlock some sort of engagement because otherwise it's so easy just to ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Can I just contribute that on the subject of training and all of the issues that you've just talked about there, Paul, that the um, the work of the ICA's Benevolent Fund to tackle that kind of um, those kind of topics has been um, absolutely fantastic. Um, I recently attended a session that they ran on um, mental health training, and it was absolutely first class. And um, and part of the reason that I think it resonated so much was that you know everyone turned up. And when you go around the room at the beginning and say, kind of, what are your reasons for being here? You know, obviously, it's a room full of strangers, so people are quite guarded. But as you went on through the day and people start to talk about, you know, these situations, they were able to open up and really talk about, you know, friends, colleagues, challenges that they'd come across. And, you know, it was it was a really good contribution. Yeah, I mean, the Benevolent Fund has done some fantastic work over the last few years and, and more and more of the contact they have with um, with members um, is is you know through mental stress mental health uh, you know I, I guess perhaps one of the you could say a, a real win that they might might get at some point is when people who that's people like me who haven't had fortune not to suffer from uh, from mental health in the past we actually volunteered to go along just to just to find out more about it because you know that that's the thing when you start to open it up to uh, different walks of life and people who uh, who would otherwise walk through life just ignoring the whole the whole thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm aware of the, the great work that they do um, through the Benevolent Fund, and they're available to any of the any of the ninety thousand members that we've got, and indeed wider. Uh, you know, anybody who's a civil engineer and working in the industry has has access to the Benevolent Fund. So um, it's a good first base, if you like. It's a good place to go. Um, but they do run some good pro- good training programs. That's really brilliant. Really interesting to hear about the work the Benevolent Fund are doing. And I guess on that point making it personal that's something that really resonates with me because you occasionally do find people that still have this mindset towards mental health of well it doesn't affect me therefore I don't see the negative impact it has on other people and they can deal with it just like I can so making it personal is so important and to be able to draw out those stories and in reality it'd be very rare for someone now to not know someone whether a friend or family or someone in their wider network that hasn't struggled so yeah being able to bring it home is is the key to opening up those conversations more and mm. getting people engaged well if the if the if the statistics are right and i'm absolutely sure they are that mm. um that one in four people will suffer from a mental health breakdown at some point in their lives then we all know somebody yeah <laughs> fact we all know more than four people <laughs> yeah. um and so you, you you probably bury it in your in your memory bank somewhere but uh, you know there will be people you've worked with there will be people you live next to there will be people in your in your life who who are or have recently suffered from from this you know i think everybody has the opportunity to make it personal and, and i think you know the flip side of that coin is that is that when when it does affect you you should absolutely recognize that it is it is so frequent that there will be somebody very close to you who you can talk to because they've had the same experience you know i've, I've got a, a fairly good friend of mine domestically at home who you know, he's had a, a really challenging sort of four or five years leading into retirement, partly through a sort of redundancy situation in his late fifties, and then unable to find further work. And you know, he's he's had real trouble 
coming to terms with that himself and has been sort of fighting back against it rather than or trying to do his own thing rather than get counseling and uh, get um, help from from the professionals because and, and finally he has and he's, he's in a much better place now but making him realize that there are lots and lots of people with the same thing there's no stigma about going to see a doctor so, so on that on that sort of point so <clears throat> i think our next question putting into the context of maybe what we'll be about to go through due to the impact of COVID, but thinking about uh, economic cycles. Uh, Lucy's got a very good question on this. So Lucy, if you'd like to ask the next question. Thanks, Hannah. So, um, so Paul, I started off as a site engineer and I'll always remember my first placement. So I turned up to a contractor's head office and found it like largely deserted. So um, it soon kind of turned out they were in the midst of a massive redundancy programme. So this is back in 1999. And you just arrived to find a workplace with like recently abandoned workstations and things like that. And I suppose luckily, you know, having uh, been in the industry as long as I have now, I can appreciate that, you know, we have weathered these storms, but being in the middle of them can be, you know, pretty painful. And we're still trying to understand how calm or stormy uh, coronavirus will play out to be, you know, in the, in the next couple of years. So I suppose stepping back from the coronavirus aspect, you know, a little um, for now, I'd just be interested to find out kind of what are your views on the industry's ability to, you know, keep advancing and stay positive through boom and bust over the decades and any helpful perspectives you've got for people that are really quite anxious here and now. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I like you. I've probably uh, probably been through about four or five industry booms and busts, um, and, and it's really difficult to conceive of a day when we don't have them because you know every every national economy is 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 going to be cyclical. I think wherever wherever you are around the world, and I you know I've seen it from below and I've seen it from above, and they, it feels very different um, whether you're looking at it from underneath or with, and it's been done to you, or whether you're looking at it from a helicopter thinking how the hell do I save my business because if I don't do X, Y, Z then it's going to be bankrupt in, in six months time or a year's time. Uh, COVID is, is going to have a big, big impact on all businesses and I think the construction industry will not be as badly affected as many other organisations. Um, you know, if, if you happen to be in airline travel or food and beverage or uh, you know the hospitality industry mass movement in in tubes of metal flying through the air is probably going to be a number of years before we get back to back to some sort of normality i do think people will move back to land-based public transport reasonably soon i think there's a a bit of a a fear of it right now but i think people will find eventually it's going to be inevitable that we have to find a way of doing it so people working in those industries i think are are facing a, a pretty difficult time um our industry, you know, we're, we're smooth to, to some extent because the work that is contracted and underway right now will have to finish. And so usually, certainly on the contracting side, we've probably got a year of, of work ahead of us to smooth the way into a, into a, a future, future position. But I think when you, are, when you are having this done to you, inevitably it can probably, you probably look at it and think, um, you know, why, why on earth does the leadership of the company need to wipe out 20% of its people, why does it need to um, make so many uh, redundancies or, or a restructuring? But, you know, an organisation wouldn't do it unless they had to. And, and ultimately, if you haven't got the work, then you have to make adjustments to the to the size of the business and you have to make those tough choices to cut back and meet your 
meet your financial demands. Um, and to be quite frank, it's it's horrible doing it. Probably some of the most uh, challenging situations I've had over the over the past have been, you know, when we've been plotting our way through the 2009, 10, 11 um, financial crisis. You know, what impact was that going to have on the on the organisation? Um, I was uh, the chief executive here at the time. Um, you know, what impact is that going to have on the organisation? How do we restructure it to to resize it for the for the future? And how do we deal with all of the people who are going to be let go um, and made redundant? You know, and unfortunately, those conversations are all really, you know, they're, they're horrible conversations to have. Some people will do them better than others uh, um, because, you know, the people having those conversations don't like it either. It's, so it's a, real, it's a real challenge as to how you deal with that, uh, that situation, I think, from both underneath and, and above. If you are suffering from this being done to you, then, you know, the only olive branch that I can give, if you like, from the, the, the leadership of the profession, I think is that infrastructure is always going to need good people um, to, to service it in the, in the long term. And certainly going into this COVID crisis, there was such a shortage of, you know, of skilled, competent, quality people. Um, that I'm quite sure there will be a you know, somewhere that you can bounce back into in a, in a reasonable period of time. So I think you know just keep keep trying to be optimistic about uh, about the future. You might get a dent to your ambitions in the short term, but I'm quite sure the industry is so fundamental to the not only to the fabric of the nation, but actually the the, the need and the demand for the country to move towards a net target zero for 2050. Um, that is going to require civil engineers to, to deliver it. And so there is going to be a huge demand for all of us. So I think, um, you know, there will be light at the end of the tunnel. There will be an olive branch as we get um, get through this crisis. Um, but there might be some nasty turns in the road and some bumps in the road um, before, we, before we get there. Um, so just try to keep positive and keep uh, looking to the, the medium and long term. We can, we can get through it together. Great. Thank you, Paul. That's very, I think, reassuring to hear. And I've seen quite a few quotes over the last few days about just because something happens on your journey that's it's negative and takes you down the wrong path, it doesn't mean the destination is wrong. The destination can be absolutely right for what you're going on to do. Um, and often these things can become a blessing, though you won't see that for, you know, a year or two, maybe. So, yeah, there's, there's always that uncertainty, but you need a bit of perspective sometimes to make you feel better about the situation. Yeah, you do. There are so many things that the country needs to needs to deliver, you know, and I know um, for, for a lot of people in, in the community, reducing carbon emissions and huge objective and a huge goal um, for all of us. The government has created this net target zero in legislation now, so it's more than, it's more than ambition. It's a, it's a requirement by 2050, and for us to, to achieve that by 2050, we have got to deliver so much in terms of clean energy, clean transport, completely reinventing the way that we uh, that we travel and communicate, as well as retrofitting clean energy solutions into old buildings. You know that's all absolutely critical, and and, and we're going to be the people doing that. You know you might not be building roads and tarmacking through the countryside, but there will be another another home for you in retrofitting air source heat pumps in in domestic buildings that's all engineering it's all what we do right our next question comes from louise hi paul so obviously you've mentioned over the kind of course of this conversation that your career spanned 40 years throughout construction mm-hmm. and i'm aware from our previous discussions you've worked abroad on a number of occasions uh, away from your family and sometimes in quite unusual environments <laughs> 
Um, what are your experiences of working abroad, being away from family, and kind of the knock-on implications that can have on mental health, um, whether that be your own or kind of what you've noticed from others? Um, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think the first 17 years of my working life I spent based on projects. Um, so I was started off as a, as a young site engineer and ended up as project director on, on three or four major projects towards the back end of that. And of those 17 years, seven of those were spent overseas. And uh, I had stints in, in South Africa, in, in Papua New Guinea, Turkey, Saudi Arabia and, and Hong Kong um, in that period. All very different and all very had very different uh, different challenges. And I guess that, you know, the first five years of that, I was on my own. I didn't have a, a family. And I just went where the company told me to and, and by and large had a positive outlook of on, on life and made out of it what I could. It actually started getting more difficult when, when I was married and we had children and the added pressure and added stress of a really challenging day job and trying to, to create some sort of a, of a home life was, was really difficult. Um, and I was lucky actually both in Saudi Arabia and Hong Kong that uh, my wife and, and kids um, came with me. That, that made life much, much easier than the people, I think, who were there on a, on a bachelor status. And I, and I think you know, there, there are many parallels, I think, between, between that and even the construction industry in the UK as well, because you have to bear in mind that so many of the people who work for contractors certainly do, you know, whether, you, whether you're in the supply chain or a, or a tier one contractor, they, they travel long, long distances to go to work. Um, a lot of them work live away from home during the week because they drive 200 miles on a Monday morning and 200 miles on a Friday evening, um, live away from home uh, during the week. A lot of people will drive an hour and a half, two, two hours each way to work to try and juggle the, the home life with the with the work life. All of these things make your working day hugely long. Um, you know, you might well have an eight or ten hour working day, but then you've got four hours travel on top of it. Or you leave home at you know, just two or three o'clock on a Monday morning and you get home at ten o'clock on a Friday night. They're not dissimilar to the sort of experiences I think you get when you're working overseas. Um, the long working hours are a real challenge. And I think one of, the other, one of the added problems that you have when you're living overseas is that you don't have family. And so if you do, you, know, you, you really need to develop and generate a, a close a community of friends um, with whom you share everything. I know when I first went to Papua New Guinea, we didn't even have a telephone. Um, it was a bit like traveling. It would have been in the, uh, sort of 60, 70 years ago. Uh, there was no telephone. There was no way of contacting your home. And they were 12,000 miles away. Um, so you had to develop a, a local network of, of friends who you spent all your day and night with. But, um, you know, it can lead to quite, uh, it can lead to all sorts of things that we now know have a big bearing on mental health. And so, you know, it, it, it just adds to the pressure and it adds to the stress. And if you are susceptible to, to mental health stress, then it's more likely to push you in, into a, a depression or a, a difficult time. You know, it, it can be, but, but at the same time, it can be, remarkably rewarding particularly for people who enjoy travel and learning truly embedding yourself in other cultures it can be tremendously rewarding we've talked a little bit about the sort of length of the working day and the stress that it puts on your life i've always felt really this this balance between time deadlines accuracy of work and financial constraints has been probably the, the three things that are really challenging in our industry and i think if you can always keep a perspective on you know, does it have to be perfect? What, the, the bit of homework that you're doing, the bit of work that you're doing for this deadline, 
does it have to be absolutely perfect or will 95% do? Um, and I think sometimes you can probably relieve a bit of stress on yourself if you can sort of put it into context what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, and, and will it be better than good for purpose, but will it, will it suffice for the needs that uh, you're delivering it for? Because I think if you, if you are driven by perfection, then you will always put added pressure on yourself to achieve perfection by a deadline and for a price. And the three of them don't always work together. Well, you've just answered my next question there. So that's uh-huh. good. <laughs> because I was going to say, you know, do you think that these sort of reasons contribute to the high statistics that we see in mental health and construction? And, you know, I think you're absolutely right, right in that instance, especially yeah. when we add in the factors of the long commute, which you've just mentioned as well. Um, and you can't really point a finger as to one of them, but all of them combined or a mixture of them, um, if they're present in your life, if you are working away, if you do have tight deadlines you know they will all impact upon uh an individual's mental health so i didn't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that but you did you did answer the question (laughs) it's really difficult i mean most of us want to do a good job and we're driven by we actually enjoy i think most of us actually thoroughly enjoy what we do and you know that it's um it is a demanding demanding job and when you've got so many different parts of the of the team coming together you've got somebody working on design you've got somebody working on procurement you've got somebody actually working on um, methods statements and logistics and, and procurement and planning and delivery of a project. And, and nobody in that train ever wants to let down anybody else by not having done their bit of, their bit of work. And, and I think sometimes we, we don't like to say, no, I can't do it by Friday, but I can give it to you for Monday. We'd much rather say, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll give it to you for, by Friday. And then either it doesn't come, in which case you let everybody else down. And so I think, I think, being honest about what you can achieve by when um, is a much better is a much better solution than committing to something that actually deep down you know you can't do, um, or if you do know that you or if you do think you can do it, you're going to put enormous stress pressure on yourself to actually achieve that uh, mm. that, that deadline. Yeah. But I completely understand that you know most people don't don't want to let their colleagues down, they want, don't want to let their their company or their boss down because they're you know they're committed people but, but sometimes it uh, it can just add to that stress again yeah that's that's very good advice actually just being honest with your your colleagues um i think, I think it's been honest with yourself first of all yeah you know you you always have to have a to-do list don't you and if anybody doesn't have a to-do list then it's probably it's probably probably one of the most important things that you learn early in your career and you've got to be realistic about what needs to be done by when it doesn't all have to be done tonight but there are two bits that do have to be done tonight and so let's focus on those and get them done and then I can deal with other stuff later on. So prioritising in terms of managing your own time, I think is, is probably a good bit of advice. Yeah, absolutely. And just circling back round to talk about, you know, boom and bust and the impact of that. Um, our next question is from Hannah. Yeah, and I know we've talked about this a little bit already, but um, I recently started running a series of charity webinars for Mind, actually, to try and help everyone during this period. And one of the conversations that came up around redundancy and furlough was that people who are being made redundant um, had such like a tie with their identity and their career, and they're really, really struggling during this time to know almost like what to do with themselves. So my question is sort of, do you have any advice for anyone that's kind of going through furlough and redundancy, um, especially if they're feeling that particular like tie to their identity and their career? Um, I think I think the first thing with with COVID is that um, don't blame anyone. Just this actually isn't anybody's fault. 
uh, we don't think anyway. I think maybe the first thing, first, it's a bit of human human nature, isn't it, to, to try and think, well, why is this happening and whose fault is it? Perhaps just try to try to have a think about um, what do you think it looks like for the people who are actually having to, to manage this as well um, and make some of these decisions about furlough or redundancy or, or whatever um, because they're probably juggling with enormous pressures about uh, retaining cash flow in, in the business to be able to make sure they can pay the rent or they can pay for the uh, planted equipment and, and pay salaries. You know, there are huge, huge pressures right the way up and down through through businesses. So I think the first thing is is just to, to keep that in perspective. And I think also um, really important to think about what, what are the benefits that we're seeing at the moment as a result of, of COVID? What, what, are the, what are the improvements to our... Um, our working lives that we can actually make sure we we take with us because um, if if we go back to working you know whether it's in two months or six months or a year's time if we go back to working in exactly the same way that we did before then I think we would have we would have missed an opportunity to to, to be better at, at what we what we need to do and I think there is no doubt in my mind that whether it's government or private sector developers they will have less money to spend on anything than they did before going into this crisis. So we as an industry need to be more efficient and smarter about what we do. Um, so I think anybody worrying about um, about the future of employment should, should really just try and think about what they would do differently when they take up a new employment or, or a new job. What would you do differently to be more efficient to, um, and to get more out of your time and to, and to be able to deliver a better result? And that might be spending two or three days a week working from home um, it'll almost certainly mean having more of these meetings where you can you know, have a perfectly effective uh, Teams meeting or Zoom meeting or Skype meeting with, with four or five people and have a, a really lively and interesting debate without having to travel two hours to get there. One great benefit of this is that it's probably taught the middle and older age generation that technology really does work and really can support uh, home working and so you can be a lot more efficient and I think companies will save a lot of money by ensuring that people can work at home more often because they won't need to rent as much office space and uh, you know their energy bills will be less and transport bills will be less and, and all the rest of it. So that there are clearly some benefits coming out of this. Think about what you can actually offer either your employer or a, fu a future employer about better ways of doing things because we're all going to be looking for a cheaper, more efficient way to work in the future. It's a very good call to action there. I like that. What will you do differently? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit about taking a bit of responsibility yourself. I mean, it's first World War, wasn't it? Had a, had an old adage: "Your country needs you." You know, don't ask what you what you what your king can do for you. What can you do for your country? And I, I think all of us need to take a little bit of responsibility for for learning from this ourselves and actually making sure that some of the good things we can embed in the workplace. Sorry, just following on from that, I think that's probably one of the most important things about anything right now is taking that responsibility because I think. It's really easy to worry about what other people are going to do, but actually you actually have no control over that. The only no. thing you have control over is what no. you can do, and therefore if you step up and take some responsibility, then you can really make a difference to how you're going to go forward, how your mindset's working. Yeah. Like so I think that's really yeah. great. Our next question comes from Lucy. So I think, Paul, it's been great to hear um, about your, you know, 40 years experience as a, a contractor and, you know, maybe being not the, uh, uh, sometimes at the whim of other people's decisions on, on projects, um, you know, and now, you know, you've got that leadership position in the industry, um, 
from that position now, what do you think is the one thing we can and should do to kind of change and relieve some of the pressure that we put on construction teams? Or do you think that that pressure drives our success and enjoyment and we should should not look to to undermine it? Well, I, I think there are a certain number of people in the industry who actually who do thrive on on pressure and, and delivery, and, and sometimes I've never seen so much delivered in a short period of time than I have by a, a well-oiled, um, a well-coordinated team. And, and it, it it is incredibly invigorating when when you do get uh, when you do get it right. De- delivering anything, whether in a project, I think we said a few minutes ago, um, you know, you've got everything from concept to design. Uh, to, to detail design, to procurement issues, um, manufacturing issues, delivery, logistics, um, and then on-site um, assembly and, and activities. And I think we, we do put pressure on ourselves when we when we ourselves can't deliver something to a, um, a, a deadline because or we don't actually put pressure on ourselves, we put pressure on other people. Um, so I think we've always got to be mindful of, of everybody in that chain of, of command, if you like, that if I haven't got something designed, then I can't buy it. And if I can't buy it, I can't have it made. And if I can't have it made, then it can't be delivered and it can't get to the, the construction site. And if we if we promise too much and, and constantly fail to deliver, then it inevitably puts pressure right the way down to the, the last person in the chain who's... Um, who's actually got to put the concrete in the shutters or the fix the fix the reef reinforcement in the rebar cage, and so I think making sure that we can actually get people to work as a team, I think, is a, is an incredibly rewarding process. And I think some people are obviously better at it than others. And I think this sort of technology is easy to use and can probably really help to get people to feel part of a team, even if they're working in their in their own living room or study somewhere completely isolated. Teamwork for me has always been a real release valve because you can genuinely talk about um, problems on a on a project, and you can genuinely get somebody will have a great idea that you never thought about before. If you have a really good team leader and a team ethos you can achieve a huge amount and you can always fall back on somebody who you know you can always rely on somebody to, to come and come and help when when necessary if you feel excluded from a team that can also be really painful and i think good team leaders won't let anybody be excluded from a team they'll they'll try and bring them bring them in and bring them on great that also very much resonates with me and i find some of the best work i do is is within a team that you feed off their energy you get motivated by them mm. you share that workload so yeah very powerful statement so, and, 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 and if you have a commitment and you can't do something, then there's usually somebody who say, OK, well, leave it with me, I'll sort it out. Yeah, exactly. We're now on to our final question. This comes from Louise. So, Louise, do you want to give the final question? Yeah, so our, our final question, more of a comment, I guess, than a question for our final point, is about the support that's available across the industry. We've obviously talked industry-wide today. We've talked working abroad, furlough, redundancy, boom and bust. So it's really just to kind of mention to our listeners that as well as Benevolent Fund uh, for the ICE, there's also loads of support either from your company, from employee assistance programs, mental health first aiders. Um, There's also loads of links on our website if people need additional support and the big kind of national charities such as Mind and Samaritans. Um, It is a really challenging time we're going through at the moment, not just in our industry, but further afield as well so I just wanted to bring back the reminder that we've got 
loads of support available and sometimes just that teamwork aspect Paul was just talking about talking to someone in your team and raising I need additional support here can make such a difference yeah and I, and I think um, it's, it's a well-made, well-made point Louise I think you know most most well, well-run well organisations today will recognise well-being as a as an important part of um, of, of running a business um, and I, I would also recognise that you know there are millions of people working from home at the moment for whom and I'm probably in- included in this you know I've always been used to leaving the house at six in the morning and coming home at nine at night and having multiple different locations and different meetings to go through during the day you know these days um, I'm sat at a desk from 7 seven thirty in the morning until five in the evening and I don't go anywhere and I don't see anybody other than through a screen and you really do miss the the personal contact um and so although we spend a lot of time talking to people um you probably have to work even harder to um, make that little bit of personal time for a team so if you are a team leader just check in with people outside of a scheduled meeting and just make sure they're okay because there are probably people who are busy going to teams meetings and zoom meetings and skype meetings um but actually not having the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with somebody and actually see how they really are because that's the art of a good team leader is someone who does check in and does uh, make sure that their team members are genuinely okay just outside the uh, the normal and we don't have the opportunity at the moment to go and bump into somebody at the photocopier or the print room or the just over a cup of coffee because it, it doesn't exist for us. So there, there will be added mental mental health issues I'm sure that people are are grappling with at home and it's all very well for many people who have a a study at home but there will be people trying to work whilst educating kids at home and trying to work on the on the kitchen table and it just is difficult and team leaders who might be listening to this think about your people and think about making sure that they really are okay that's really great advice thank you for that Paul and that concludes our discussion today and all the questions that we have for you but I'd just like to say thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Some it's a pleasure. great Thanks for inviting wisdom me. and experience that you've shared with us and answered all our questions incredibly honestly, which has been brilliant. Um, my particular points that I sort of pulled out from that conversation that I feel resonated with me strongly were, you know, be honest with yourself. You take responsibility for what you're doing. What will you do differently, especially considering the current um, context? And... This was a good one, and I liked this one when you said it. Teamwork is a release valve. So I've got, got that stuck in my head now. I'm like, yes, that's a that's a, <laughs> a good quote to take forward. Yeah. So so thank you so much. My pleasure, and um, I think you guys are good, doing some doing some great work in uh, in highlighting uh, a lot of these issues. And good luck with the venture. Um, and I shall listen to in some of your podcasts in the future. Thanks again to Paul Sheffield for joining us on the podcast today. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please rate, review and subscribe. If you have any comments or feedback, just email us at constructingmindsets at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.